0: Well, Fred, asked me to, to fill in this morning form. It's, it's always a privilege to be in front and, and to share. Um, we will, of course, have our, our meeting next week. And for any, anybody here for the first time for the first time? Okay, welcome, welcome. Uh, we gather every Friday, and as you know, that uh, the only time we don't have a meeting is when it falls on a holiday like Christmas or something like that. A Christian. But, uh, Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just a it's a blessing that we have this venue, is it not? I mean, it, this this keeps expanding, Amen. and uh, it's been provided for us. It, uh, the person that does it is anonymous and doesn't want to be acknowledged. But uh, if you send Freddie a text or an email, and just think, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> 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 but it was it was it was t- seven years ago. Three men gathered in his office and wanted to study the Bible, and out of that he had to move it to his lunch room, and it jumped to 25 people and then it's here today. And uh, we have some special guests lined up for the new year. At that, at that time, we actually expanded 200, 250, and we use that more as an outreach uh, to bring in friends and brother-in-laws, etc., etc. et cetera. So um, having said that, this last, what I want to talk about today is the cross. It's our last gathered. I thought, what better way to end the year and go into the brand new year when we meditate and think about the cross of, of Jesus Christ and what that meant in each of our lives. And I'd like us to turn to 1 Corinthians, uh 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh where Paul is 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 preaching here uh to the Corinthians. He's sending this letter actually. And maybe somebody could read uh verse 21 uh through 24. four. First Corinthians uh chapter 21 through 24, please. For since in the
1: wisdom of God Not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block, to Gentiles, (coughs) foolishness. But to those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, Christ,
0: the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay, thank you. Paul focuses on the cross here. Matter of fact, he says, I preach Christ and Him crucified. If you notice, Paul, when he's reaching an unbelieving audience, he rarely speaks against their sin, like he's on Mars Hill and other places. He talks about the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, when they become believers, and he's writing letters to Galatia or Corinth, he he identifies sin and he tells them to repent, etc. But his main thing is to preach Christ and Christ crucified. And of course, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And this, but what are some of the responses that the preaching of the cross gets here? Just in these couple verses that were just read, what's some of the responses to or attitude to the cross of Jesus Christ?
1: They wanted proof.
0: They wanted signs. Okay, signs. Okay, show us a sign. Remember, they would ask Jesus, and Jesus says that this adulterous generation <laughs> will not get a sign. Want a sign? Do us, What else is a response to the preaching of the cross?
1: Wisdom.
0: A wisdom to the believer. It's wisdom. What else is it to the believer in that very, I think it's the same verb? Power. Power. It's power. But it's also foolishness. See, the the thing about the cross, it divides humanity, does it not? It divides humanity. And people will either embrace the cross or they'll deny the cross. Mm -hmm. Even though they like the message of Jesus, they like the example of Jesus, uh, they don't like the cross. And that's why the Greeks look for wisdom. Of course, the Greeks were well known for wisdom when you think of Socrates. (laughs) and Plato and, and, and Aristotle, et cetera. They were really into wisdom and knowledge, and, but the cross was offensive. Why the cross? And the cross differentiates Christianity from all other religions. See, all other religions give advice or information. They have a teacher or what they might call a prophet, but the central issue of the, of the Christian faith is not the teaching, as in, but as it's based on a person, that that person had to come, had to die, had to be buried, had to rise from the dead. That's the essential gospel of 1 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But today there's a huge movement against uh, the preaching of the cross, even in Christendom. I I have a list of books I I was typing out here, uh, liberal or what's known as progressive Christianity, where they now are denying the virgin birth. They say, here's a good question, can a person be a Christian uh, without believing in the virgin birth? Can a person be a Christian if they denies uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the physical crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Can a person be a Christian if he does not believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus?
1: No.
0: no. no. These are primary pillars of the foundation of our Christian faith. And when somebody says, well, it didn't mean he physically rose from the dead, it means that uh, evil will never dominate or prevail, that goodness will rise up, or you cannot keep truth down. By a lot, you know what I mean? They make a metaphor or a symbol. You can't do that because Christianity is locked into historical fact, both scripturally and historically, that Jesus came, he lived, he died, was buried and rose Mm -hmm. and ascended. That's that's a very important point. Here's 1.3 billion people on the earth that follow the Quran will say this. This is chapter, or surah, chapter 4, verse 157. They denied the truth and uttered a monstrous falsehood against Mary. They declared, We have put to death the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the apostle of God. They did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. They only thought they did. So here you have one point three billion will openly deny the crucifixion. You have others that think it's foolishness, others, but it's that the cross is the central. The central principle, the central historical doctrinal fact of the Christian faith. Any thought on this before I move forward on this? What I want to look at is why the cross, in a wide theological sense, and bring it all down to the cross in our lives today as believers. Now, when you consider uh, company logos, uh, think of Apple, the apple with the bite out of it. What's another company logo that has real simple logos? Target. McDonald's, the Golden Arches, Nike, the check mark. Uh, Coca-Cola. Pardon? Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, just a circle now, Target, just a red circle with a dot in the middle. Logos can tell you a whole lot. A logo is a simplified symbol that tells you about the brand of the company, that tells you about the culture of the company, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing in religion. What's the symbol, symbol for Islam? The star in the crescent. What's the symbol for Judaism? Star David. The symbol for Taoism. The circle, the yin and the yang. In Buddhism, it's the spoke, the eightfold wheel with the spokes. They tell you something. But what's unique about the Christian faith, which is probably the most well known logo of all, it's a symbol of death. Okay? Think about it. It's a symbol of death. And that tells us something about the brand, and it tells us something about the culture or the kingdom of God, which we're going to look at today. Question. What, if somebody comes to you and says, "Well, why does Christianity have to have the cross? Why did Jesus have to come and die? Uh, because his life was so spectacular, even unbelievers like his parables, his modeling, his messaging, his compassion. Why the cross? Yeah, I, I, they might say, I'm into everything else, but it's a little like Thomas Jefferson. Remember what Thomas Jefferson did with the Bible? Yeah, he cut and pasted. Yeah, he didn't like anything about the deity of Christ or the miracles. And he ended up, you can actually see it in the museum. It's called the Jeffersonian Bible. He liked Jesus, he just did not like the bit about the cross and the death and the torture and the brutality. So, how would you answer that person? And it's not a trick question, it's just a question.
1: Why? Basically, you know, he died on the cross so he could accept all of our sins. And without his actually death on the cross and resurrection what? then everything's a lie.
0: Okay, good. Uh, well
1: I you know, I just gotta say that uh, you know, this hits a little close to
0: home working now with the Red Cross. The <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously the second most recognized symbol in the world after Coca Cola. Hmm. And and I would tell you that uh, you say the cross Symbolizes death. I would say it also symbolizes hope. Okay, right. That's what we're going to get to. Okay, but to, to, back to the question Why does Christianity there's no other religion that has this you understand Buddha this man in northern India six centuries before Christ He reaches enlightenment. He, he leads a following he tells Muhammad gets this message He says and he gets a following da 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 Confucius Taoism, even modern-day Joseph Smith and Brigham Young and uh, L. Ron Hubbard with Scientology. Why the cross? Why the torture? Why the shedding of blood? Yeah. Yes, please. Okay, number one, it fulfills prophecy. And the first place we see that is back in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15. After the fall, God is dealing with man. He's reclaiming. He's, he's putting his redemptive plan in action. And he says what? about? The, he's talking to the serpent, or Satan. He says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, which is you know, the, the final blow, the capital blow, but you, I'll put enmity between you and the seed of the serpent, and, and your seed will crush the seed of the serpent, but he will bruise his heel, the seed of the woman, which is virgin birth, incarnation, when he comes, he'll destroy the works of the enemy, but in the process, he will be bruised, he will be wounded, or hurt, does that make sense? What does it say in Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities we understand okay so the fulfillment of prophecy you see all through the Old Testament is this idea of shedding of blood you know right from the very beginning Adam and Eve they knew they had sinned they knew they were naked they were shameful they hid from God and they covered themselves did they not with what (coughs) fig leaves what did what did God do when he came on the scene animal skin skin, which meant what there was shedding of blood the innocent died for the guilty, the covering was adequate, and it wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. That's a very important point. Because man, when you study religions, is really good at making fig leaf garments. How to cover guilt, how to cover shame, how to cover this, how to do that. All the way stretching, all the way through to Revelation, when you see the redeemed in robes that are white, glistening white, have been washed in what the blood of the lamb so you see the whole sacrificial system runs all the way through the old testament never having a perfect sacrifice but god says without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins or he says at passover when i see the blood i will pass over. in other words your house will not be judged which was happening in Egypt at that time. So, the idea of the blood. So, you have this a couple things if you were make a mathematical equation. Number one, uh, the soul that sinneth shall die. The wages of sin is death. If you disobey me, Adam and Eve, and partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. See, the problem with man is not that he drinks too much and lost in pornography and all violence. All those are problems, don't get me wrong. The problem with man is he's dead spiritually dead ever since adam and eve and that's why it says in ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 we have we're dead in our trespasses and sin when jesus comes he doesn't come to correct morality he will take care of that and he will restore order in the moral order in the chaos but his thing is to deal with this issue of death man is separated from god how do we reunite with god there's no way an all sinful man can stand in the presence of an all holy god he needs the god man to come and to shed his blood that we can have the perfect sacrifice and then we can be reunited yes so to the point why does christianity have the shedding of blood we have to have the shedding of blood that god's perfect love he loves us for god so loved the world he gave but his perfect justice his perfect would a judge be just if everybody that came in front of him no matter what their crime was said they're sorry and he hit the gavel and says, you can go free. You can go free. You can, would that be a just judge? No, there's no payment. If you can't do the time, don't do the crime. You know, I mean, there's, there's wages we earn. The wages of sin is, then who's going to pay those wages? You got it? That's the key. Somebody's got to pay to complete God's perfect love, mercy, but God's perfect holiness and justice. Does that make sense? Sometimes we focus all the way on one one attribute and not the other. We don't understand sometimes the full attributes of God. So Jesus comes, and that's why you have established this whole thing right from the beginning. Jesus was the one person that entered this world to die. Everyone else that enters this world is to live. Anyway, that's the purpose of life. Jesus comes to die. And that prophecy was given even at his presentation in the temple. I know he went up there and. and, and uh, Simeon prophesied that over him He came to die John introduces Jesus Behold the Lamb of God Who takes away the sins of the world that's, that's sacrificial language That's paschal language So here we see this thing that's set up That there had to be the shedding of blood We have to establish that fact And so here we have this issue of the cross And it is a fulfillment of prophecy When, when Abraham takes Isaac up On that altar you know, He takes him up And he's going to offer him up there who carries the wood Isaac. Who, who is the son of promise Isaac. Isaac. who is the miracle child Isaac. Isaac. remember they were beyond childbearing needs who was named before he was born Isaac, 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 Isaac. and Abraham puts the wood on him and says we're going to go up we're going to worship the Lord and we're what we are coming down <laughs> he figures I'll kill him but God's got to raise him because he, he understood the resurrection Amen. he understood death and resurrection so you have that issue going on well, there's this perfect picture or type way back in the Old Testament, this coming one, this coming one. So the fulfillment of prophecy, even 30 pieces of silver, if you go in Deuteronomy, why was it 30 pieces of silver? Well, if a servant was gored, punctured, by a bull, how much did you pay the owner? 30 pieces of silver. Okay, that was the price of our servant. That was gored, that was cursed, from Deuteronomy. So all through the scripture we see this, and of course you come to Psalm 22, you come to Isaiah 53, the idea of being there, he had to be pierced. Now look at one scripture just for a moment. Look at Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, and maybe somebody could read verse 10 please.
1: Then I will pour upon the house of David, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him, as one mourn for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn.
0: Okay, now, this is written 700 years before Jesus comes. Christians didn't write the book of Zechariah, okay? That was Hebrew prophets. But this is God speaking in the first person through the prophet. And what's he saying here? They will look upon not the prophet. They will look upon me, whom they have pierced. pierced.
1: Amen.
0: Now, what was the capital punishment back in the Old Testament, generally speaking? It was Stoning. Stoning. Okay? That's what that's what they did with Steve. They stoned him. They beheaded uh, John the Baptist. But but it wasn't piercing. That's why when you're in Psalm 22, and, the, and written a thousand years before Jesus comes, and it says this, the first person he says, "I look down. They have pierced my hands and my feet." That's written a thousand years, but it's the idea of piercing. You understand the shedding of blood, not strangulation, not drowning not being thrown off a cliff, which they try to do with Jesus at one time, it was shedding of blood through piercing. Does that make sense? Amen. So, so it's a very important uh, event uh, prophesied in the, that when he come, that's what he would do. Any thoughts on this? I don't want to move it too quickly. But that, that's one of the major reasons. The other one of the major reasons for the crucifixion, the crucifixion really when you think about it, it shows you the depths of man's sin, does it not? I mean, it shows you this is what was required to get us out of our dreadful situation, okay? And and how how deep God's love. I always say it shows the depths of man's sins, but it shows the height of God's love. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You see, it, it shows the depths of that. So if you think of the vertical beam of the cross, that's man's relationship with God, and it was broken, okay? Remember Jacob's ladder in the Old Testament, what he was that night he was sleeping out in a rocking and a hard place and it was a ladder up back and forth to God well in a sense that that vertical beam of the cross it reestablishes our relationship with God and because that vertical beam is reestablished and put in right order the horizontal would suggest that now we can have right relationship with each other what's the greatest commandment when they ask Jesus what's the greatest commandment go on somebody Okay, Jesus compresses the Ten Commandments right there. If you know what he's doing, it's really interesting. Because they said the greatest commandment, well, they knew the Ten, the Decalogue. Jesus takes the first four commandments as man's relationship to God. The last six commandments in the Ten Commandments, man's relationship to man. He compresses it, and the mainspring is love. He says, Love the Lord thy God with all that. If you love the God with all your heart, souls, you're not going to be an idolater, you're not going to blaspheme, you're not going to, you know. If you love your fellow man uh, with all your heart, you're not going to steal from, him. you're not going to defraud. Do you understand? So you have the, ho- the vertical, you have the horizontal. One thing Jesus does is he establishes relationships that were broken. Does that make sense? He re-establishes broken relationships. There's so much done at the cross, it takes a long time to develop. Explain. not saying I have a handle on this, but there's so much going on at that cross. It's incredible. Besides fulfilled prophecy, the last sacrifice of all time, the fact that he had to come uh, at a certain time. You know, it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law. This idea, everything had to be almost like a clock. And so that's why even critics of the Bible have a hard time uh, dismissing it or denying it because it's locked in history, you know what I'm saying? P- Jesus goes to Capernaum, the proconsul was so, when they take a, you know, a boat and they go here, very specific, almost like you're reading a newspaper, and so it, it establishes itself in history, it's not written in the language of mythology, long, long ago, far, far away in a distant land, that, that kind of language, so it's, it's rooted in history, so now we see, let's look at the couple of effects that will be on the cross. Now, we know one thing, that when Jesus says it's finished, uh, at one of his last sayings on the cross, before he commends his spirit to his father, he says it's finished, to tell us story. God's work was finished in terms of redemptive, redemption. Do uh, you remember when Jesus was just a young man, and he was, went to his, with his parents to Jerusalem for a festival, and they thought he was with the, the men. No, we thought he was with the woman. They go back. What was the first words recorded of Jesus in the Bible?
2: Did you not know I should be about my father's business?
0: Exactly right. He knew right from the get-go, you see. And his last words on the cross when he completed his father's business were what? It is finished. It is finished. Now, in a sense, in a very real sense, he's handed the redemptive work over to us now. Now, he's working with us, don't get me wrong, but we have a great responsibility to share this message now. Uh, That's one of the reasons the meeting, these meetings is that we can equip one another for the work of the ministry that God has called each one of us to do. Do you understand that kind of principle? Okay, let's look at a couple of the things of of the cross, and let's turn to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. Um, uh, Colossians chapter 2. And maybe someone could read verse, chapter 2, verse 13 um, and uh, 15. This is one aspect of the work on the cross.
1: And you who are dead and trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us, legal demands. This he set aside, kneeling to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, What does it say here? What did did Jesus achieve at the cross? Again, there's multiple things going on at the cross, but what does those verses suggest? Pardon me? Full payment. payment. Uh, this, This is a very important point. That the blood covers all sin, uh, paid in full. Okay, Uh, why this is so important? Because there's many Christians today that are living under the guilt of forgiven sins. You know what I mean? Give me an example. Can anybody think of of this situation? I know people personally like this. They're carrying a ball and chain of what they did in the past even though it's been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, but they can't appropriate that forgiveness in their own life, and it hinders their victorious Christian walk today. All kinds of things. Good good point. But the blood covereth all, as you say, it covereth all sin. There's nothing that it cannot cover.
2: (laughs) John, you can't walk by grace and the letter of the law. Exactly right, Mark. And that's what people try to do. They try to do it by their good works, and that's living by the law. If that's how you're going to live, then that's what you're judged by. And until you learn to realize that grace brings you to holiness, and that's the reason for grace, when you start to walk in it, you're able to overcome those very things that so easily entangle. Okay,
0: very good point. We're going to get to that, how, how we can walk in victory. When the prodigal son came back to the father, after he had wasted the inheritance and uh, the family name and the reputation and everything else, when he came back to the father, what did he want to do to get things right? Remember, when he had a little plan. He rehearsed it before. What did he want to do? What, did he, what was he going to say to his father? I'll work make me a servant servant. i want to work my way back to you if you notice in luke chapter 15 the father will not let him say that he he will let him say i've sinned against you and against heaven he'll let him say that Mm -hmm. because he's acknowledging repentance Mm -hmm. he won't let him say why because his worth in in the eyes of his father was not based on what he could do but the love of the father
2: Mm -hmm. it's not a relationship it's
0: a relational and that's grace now, after that, we assume he worked. He became the son he should have been all along, you know. But the idea, he got the ring, he got the rope, he got the. makes you wonder why he left home in the first place. But anyhow, um, the idea being there that it's paid in full. What else does those couple verses tell us that the crucifixion did? There's something very important there. He from being dead to alive. From death to life, okay. It's paid in full, but from death to life. There's something else there. It's in the last verse. We have power, right? that chris wrote. power
1: power over spiritual
0: okay uh, you see this right here where he says having disarmed principalities and powers and made spectacles of them triumph over them you see it'll say in ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 we were under the control of the enemy okay second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says to those that are lost, they are blinded by who? Spiritually blinded by who? The God of this world. See, they, we don't realize the control that's out there. We don't want to assess to him more power than he has, but when Jesus comes, one of the things he does, he breaks that power. That's why he can say to the apostles in Mark, uh, I'm going to give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. Those are metaphors for the demonic, or you'll cast out demons. Now, we, in our culture, we don't... Identify with this so much but having lived in Southeast Asia for years where people are really given over to the occult and animism and Spiritism this means a lot that they don't have to fear the spirits like they did they don't have to wear spirit strings They don't have a little shrine in the backyard where they appease the spirits. They don't do this They don't fear that that's liberating But that is one of the things Jesus achieved on the cross. Do you understand that and we we in, we in a sense inherit that that power that standing now, we, if we go astray and we, you know, go back into our old ways, we're subject to demonic <laughs> afflictions, etc. But he achieved that for us. And we, we must remember, I remember I was uh, on the mission field. It was around Christmas time. I was picking up these cards at the post office, and most of them, like, you know, New England church, Merry Christmas. And this one lady, I think from Chicago, I don't even know who it was, says, we're praying for you guys. And the verse she put in there was out of First John. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might Destroy the works of the enemy, the evil one. I go, wow, that's a really cool and appropriate car. You know, we're in, <laughs> you know, that's right. That's one of the things he did at the cross. Any thoughts on this? Do you understand? That hole that the enemy once had has now been broken. Our sins have been forgiven completely. The debt has been paid. The wages that we owe. Remember the old song, I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe that that's the deal you know it's a little like Midas muffler pay me now or pay me later pay me now is at the cross it's free every day the welcome mat is out that's why the Bible says if you hear his voice don't harden your heart why because today is what the day of salvation yes Mark I, I, uh,
2: King David uh, did that with the head of Goliath as he made a public display um, overcoming Goliath. The irony <coughs> of it was he used Goliath's own sword to cut off his head.
0: Yeah, right. And that goes back in typology to where the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Right. Interestingly enough, when Jesus achieved this victory on the cross, where was that cross planted? What was the place called? The skull. The place of the skull. Okay, now. So here we see what 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 the cross is achieving for us. Now stay in Colossians uh, just go to chapter 3 and look at verse th- this is a very important point because why? Jesus says in Luke if any man follow me let him take up his cross daily. Okay? He says it in Mark. Uh, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciples, Pick up your cross and follow me. It's a death instrument. You know, you go back to the logo. The cross is a death symbol or instrument, if you will. But people say, well, how do I do this? How do I die to Do you ever hear that question? Even believers, how do you do it? Let me open that question up. When Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, and in, in Luke, he says, die daily, what does that mean? Daily. I mean, uh, it's not just conceptual. It's not like, OK, I'm going to die daily. Die. What? What does that mean? I, I know, Die to self.
1: Ways. Give up your old life. All your own life.
0: Okay, give up your old life. Yes. Die, die to your flesh, fleshly wants. Die to your fleshly wants. Die to self. Die, all of these.
1: But it's pride. The pride is the number one sin, according to C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And so if you go towards humility, which I can't do very well, but the the fact is it's pride. If you can give up your pride and give up control of your life to Jesus Christ, as opposed to leading under your own ways, then... Okay, pride
0: pride is one of those sins. And and really, pride does keep us from the cross because we think we're self-righteous or we think... The Pharisees didn't feel they needed a savior, you know, it was the sinner. But let's look in real practical terms where Paul is going to itemize or catalog what it means to die. And look at chapter 3, after he he told us about the crucifixion and what that meant for us in terms of wiping out the penalty and the sin debt. But look at verse 5. Therefore, what does he say? Put to death. Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. He's not, he's not saying put the death. in it's a real abstract. He's being very specific. You know what I'm saying? Don't play with it. Too many of us manage sin. You know, how much can I sin? How little can I? You know, we manage it. It's destructive. And that's why Paul is going to identify sins 2,000 years ago that are prevalent in our world today fornication, <coughs> lust, pornography. They call it pornos back then. But all of these sins, anger, gossip, slander, all of these things, he's saying, kill it. How many remember the uh, Crocodile Hunter? How many ever saw the documentary Grizzly Man? How many know what happened to uh, Ray Horn, Las Vegas, Steve and Roy? Mm-hmm. What do those three guys have in common?
1: They played around with, they played the- around the- with dangerous
0: animals. Played around with dangerous animals. It was cute. It was attractive. Probably when the animals were small, there was no harm. What happened to all three? Well, Roy didn't die from that. But the other two and many others, they died from playing around with something dangerous like that. You see what I'm saying? You can't play with sin. That's why Paul says, kill it. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on this? Yes, please. In
1: Romans, it says, Romans eggs thirteen says for if you live according to the flesh you will die
0: but by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. Lou- louder. Over here I'll read that again because that's a bit. That in
1: Romans eight thirteen for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if by the spirit you put to
0: death deeds of the body you will live. Okay. now now here's the deal. Before we couldn't do it and we would be very frustrated. You, ever, you know, at New Year's, you turn over a new leaf? I knew a guy that once told me, he says, my three New Year's resolutions, I want to save money, lose weight, and exercise more. My, my other three, I don't want to save money, I don't want to lose weight, and I don't want to exercise He figures, I'm going to get 50% of this thing right at the end of the year. <laughs> but resolutions are frustrating because we couldn't do it before. Am I right? right? Before you were Christian, how many times did you want to change? Did you want to amend your life? We couldn't in our own strength as you say in the flesh because but once we're empowered by the holy spirit once we know our sins have been forgiven once we have newness of life once we have the scripture for a gps system once we have fellowship we're game on you understand we now we got okay i got the resources now to do it Uh, before i got the cross you understand that's the key here's one of the problems with the modern christian culture i'm not a critic of this because i'm the fault In our present day culture, we would rather wear a cross than bear a cross.
1: Amen.
0: In present day Christian culture, we would rather wear a cross than bear a cross. Because we want to identify with Christ. We want to, you know, even publicly I notice it's more, but it only cost me a couple bucks. (laughs) To do to bear a cross means Here's God's will. Here's what God wants me to do, okay? Not my will, but thy will. Here's John Murtha's will. Where those things cross, and where my will comes across counter to God's will, I have a choice. I'm going to follow my will, or I'm going to die to self and and live for God's will. Do you understand that? But the cross is the secret. (laughs) Okay. So, now we see here, he says back here in Colossians, put to death. Then he says, because of those things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Here's the deal. The wrath of God is coming. You know, it's not preached or taught a lot, but Jesus and John both opened their ministries by saying, repent and avoid or flee what? The wrath that is coming. You know, and, and, but, to, but to, it's yet still day. We have to labor while it's day because night's coming. If we don't repent, if we, if we go, keep going our own way, we have to realize there's a judgment coming. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. Do you understand? We we understand that. If we get behind the cross, in a sense, the wrath that was for me or for you was absorbed by Jesus so that he who knew no sin became sin sin, that we might become the righteousness righteousness of God. That is what in theology is called the great exchange, the cross. What did we give Jesus? Our sin, shame, guilt, wasted years everything everything what did he give us in return forgiveness life freedom freedom power inheritance fellowship access to the bible you know that we can now understand what this thing is saying you know uh, a message we can be influencers we can change lives not because of our own strength but because of the Holy Spirit and God working through us. This is this is a bountiful, you know, as Fred says, this is the 1010 life, you know, that Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And so he goes down again, he goes, um uh verse seven, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man, and you have put on the new man, who is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And here we see, and then he says, because of this new life, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all in all. Here's you see the horizontal. Because our relationship with God is reestablished or established correctly, now the horizontal... Is our relationship with others. Amen. This is a very important point, starting with our own families. See, Jesus says when we pray the, our Father, the only addendum he puts in that entire prayer is forgiveness. When we say, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass. Well, later on, he'll in Matthew, I believe, he'll expand on that and say, You've got to forgive <coughs> because God has forgiven us. A very, very important point. Now we can really, when you see this, what it's saying here, this was so counterculture to the Greco-Roman world at that time. They were very class distinction. Are you a Roman? Are you Greek? Are you this? Are you that? But the, 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 at the foot of the cross, all ground is level. And really, the Christian faith is the message. It should be uh, for ethnic uh, relationships, ethnic, racial, nationality. It really should be. Because why? Why? Who are we? We receive forgiveness. Certainly, we should be able to extend forgiveness. We should be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, uh, for they shall be called the children of God. You see, he, all this is happening because of the cross. Yeah, Joe, do you hear me?
1: John, I think that, uh, I mean, to the discussion here, the reason God wants Jesus was be crucified because, actually, two, three reasons. Number one, if you were being stolen, nobody knew about it. Mm-hmm. But I to do some stories within two minutes was gone and saved. And that was wonderful because when the people judging crossify because the Romans was the most atrocious pain you could get from mm-hmm. the cross. Right. And then when people look what's going on, it in memories of everybody and it keeps going through generations. That's the reason why it was crucifying. That's why today, every time we see the cross, everybody carries
0: a cross. Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. I mean, it, it, the torture that the Romans devised, I'll start wrapping it up here, was, 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 was extreme in, in what they were doing. If you really study what crucifixion was about, I mean, a lot of times the prisoners didn't make it beyond the scourging. They called it the first step. Then the whole thing with the crucifixion was shame, but it was also an advertisement. It was a billboard. That's why it was outside the city gate, usually on a major road system, and they would leave the bodies up there. You know, and po- post the crime, rebel, thief, whatever it might be. Uh, it but that's, that, from the cross, the root word crux crucius is where we get the word excruciating. Have you ever had excruciating pain, like a root canal? Multiply that. That's what Jesus was going, excruciating. That's where we get that word. So he took it. I agree with your point about the cross. Although we do know Stephen was stoned, and we still study him today.
1: John, there is a movie, I've seen it at least six times. It's called The Resident.
0: Yeah, raisin. Uh huh.
1: It's a really good one about the, the life of Jesus in the Eastern South. how he was crucified and everything. If somebody got a chance to get the movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good movie. It's an excellent movie. Yes, Dennis.
1: It's unique that uh, Christ was in, in Roman times <clears throat> one of the rare times they took the body down without leaden and herbs and stuff. But, you know, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Because they were Jewish, they kind of loathed the Jews to let him. Because it was the, the Passover time, they let them take the body down, and in most cases, it's it, any place else in history in the Romans, they left
0: those bodies right until they fell off the cross. Yeah, right. It, again, it was a uh, a display. It, it was getting
1: have broken bones when they when they scourged them
0: is like highly unusual. Well, yeah, because usually they would break the leg it bones that, to prevent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did, they, and that was to fulfill
1: prophecy.
0: To and what's interesting is even their secular historians like Pliny and Sosthenes and Josephus, of course, that reference the crucifixion of Jesus. There's very few critics of Christianity well that will deny that Jesus lived and that he died. And they'll say the resurrection and the other stuff they might have problems with. But they don't deny that usually. That's a modern day phenomenon. And it's coming in. It's coming in even to the, what I would call Christendom at large, these books that are coming out. So, yes, please.
1: That life in the spirit, though, it's, you know, it says in Romans to keep our minds on the things of the, the spirit and not the things of the flesh. You know, So that's like a constant uh, battle, a co- constant awareness, a constant alertness um, that we I think we actually have, have to walk in the spirit. You know? Am I correct?
0: Well, yeah, Romans 8 talks about, you know, in... Second Corinthians 10. The idea, we're responsible for our thought life. I mean, just yeah, what it is. You exactly. know, I mean, <laughs> well, what we let in, what we vigilance. think about. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. and we have the power now to renew our thought life. That That's one of the resources that God has given to us as believers. With the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, uh, with teachers, preachers, people that can help us along, we can learn how to take every thought captive. I'm we just can
1: just saying to walk in the Spirit, though. It's a constant vigilance yeah. to keep our minds focused and not... Let our minds stray onto the fleshly desires
0: and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One more. Yeah,
1: yeah. John, I'm just going to ask you, why is this so important? It says not carnal, but Christ. But we were talking about the shedding of blood and forgiveness of sins. But then all of a sudden we have to do this putting members to death. Why is it so important to put to death things that we've already been forgiven for?
0: All right, let me open that up just for a couple of minutes. Why is it important to put to death Things we've already been forgiven of. Because yeah. We,
1: because if we don't put it to death, you'll carry it like you were saying. Going to, it's going to weight you down, drag you down. You can't move forward.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Salvation. So have to have to... Salvation is an is an event. When you accept Christ, that's like birth. You, that's an event. But sanctification is a life. Do you understand the difference? Salvation. Is an event just like I had two grandchildren born two weeks ago. Within two days, I don't mind being a grandfather, but that means I'm married to a grandmother. But anyhow, <laughs> but you know, um, we have to understand the sanctification, sanctification process. Hope that's not take my life.
2: <laughs>
0: But that's where we put to death. If we say that we have no sin as believers, what does it say in 1 John? We're a liar. We're liars. And John's including himself in that. And by that time in his life, he was probably extremely holy. But if we if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's the beauty. I mean, when you really underst- when we understand our Christian inheritance, what we have in Christ it's, it's, it's like a treasure chest, you just keep... Yes, Mark?
2: You, I mean, you can keep going on and on and if you look at Romans 6, shall I continue in sin that grace might increase? No. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Yeah. Therefore, do not go on presenting the members of your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but present them as members of righteousness unto God. Then you go into Galatians and it says, for I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me, and therein lies the victory.
0: Right. Therein. That's the that's the end verse. Mark is. But I'll stop with this one, unless somebody had a comment over here. But Galatians two twenty. If that's the only thing you remember, take that's your takeaway. I am crucified with Christ. And nevertheless, I live. Now that sounds really weird. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not me that's living anymore. What does he say? But Christ, who liveth, in and the life that I now live in the flesh on this earth, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and what? Died for me. Personal. Not John 3.16, for God's love. This is for God Jesus loved me. Personalize it. And then learn how, how we can all walk in that victory. Was there one more comment before we close? In prayer? Yes, sir. left and to the right mm. you have to exercise you have to
1: fight that to keep it going straight and so you go in for that front on the line where you can let the wheel go and, and cruises the front. the issue is this those desires that we have inside <coughs> is like our check engine light.
0: this is something's a mess yeah. something's off and until we get in alignment with the
1: i.e change of desire having to
0: put stuff to death all the time. Good point. A very good illustration. Alright. Uh, was there one more short comment? that, that left?
1: So then Galatians 2.20 is the embodiment of God's will.
0: Yeah, in a sense. I mean, what Paul does there, he capsulizes a lot of truth.
1: he wills for us to bring him so close that he's living inside of us. Yeah. So our desire really should be God's will.
0: Yeah, end game, right? Not my will, but thy will be done. Amen. That's why we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, one day it's going to be done on the earth. He's going to restore everything, you know, broken order and everything Satan's cast out. But now he wants to reign in your life and my life, and we want his will done. And not what Frank Sinatra said when he said, My, my way. way. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Mike, would you close us at a word of prayer,
1: please?